0: Hi everyone, if you're watching this on YouTube, can you please click the big red subscribe button below this video and share it on social media. This keeps all our content ad-free, spreads the word of Bitcoin to others like yourself. Everything is available at BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com, including our podcast platforms and an upcoming free webinar. Alright, onto to the show.
1: We've created a world of rules and Bitcoin breaks down those rules that it takes away some of those rules and so therefore if it's if it's taken you know taken down those walls it's creating more freedom so I would just say Bitcoin is freedom
2: this is the Bitcoin basics podcast with your host Ferris that's me and Gordon from coincompass.com We're Bitcoin advisors and educators supporting business and individual investors to safely buy store and control their private keys Bitcoins this podcast is strictly educational and is not intended to be financial, investment, or legal advice. Full disclaimer in the show notes and at the end of this episode. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your hosts, uh, Gordon and Ferris here. And today is April 1st, 2020. So um, we actually have a very special guest today. But before we do that, we'll uh, run to Gordon, who uh, will give us the blockchain and invite our new guest on.
0: I will give you the blockchain, Ferris. Here it is.
2: So we are currently
0: at block number 623,883, which is April 1st, 2020, for those people who don't understand blockchain time. And the current price is 6,320, according to Bitstamp. So as Ferris mentioned, we have an extremely special guest on today, Peter McCormack. And uh, Peter, are we uh, brothers from another mother or... uh, Are you uh, from the Buchanan clan, as I am?
1: Uh, My family is from Leash. So uh, specifically uh, um, Abbey Leaks. It's kind of pretty central to Ireland. So uh, I'm not sure. Are you Scottish?
0: Scottish, yes.
1: Yeah, so a lot of people see the McCormack and they think, "Is that Scottish?" It's actually Irish. It's the McCormick's that tend to be the Scottish. It's almost like uh, it's, it's almost like they switched the I and the A around as they uh, sailed across the ocean.
0: Yeah, and son of doesn't it? Isn't
1: it Mick and and Mac? Yeah, son 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 of Cormac. Yeah, yeah. That's although my 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 father my father. Yeah. <laughs> My father isn't called Cormac either, so <laughs> Okay. All right. Without uh,
0: doxing ourselves too much and boring Farris. Um how before we get started, how's lockdown in uh, sunny Bedford?
1: Oh, do you know what? Um there's so many ways to answer that question. It's uh the strangest times ever. I'm I'm assuming we're all similar ages. I'm forty one. How about you, Gordon? I'm forty four you 're a bit older Ferris 43. yeah so look we're same generation right you you would have maybe beat me up at school but we're same generation and it is the strangest time I th- I've not known anything like this we we're living through something that will be in the history books I was talking to my daughter about it yesterday she's you know she's only 10 and asking her how she feels about it does she have any questions and, and such and and uh, she said, is it, is it like the war, Dad? And I said, well, it, yeah, it kind of is. Is that something you've talked about your friends with? And she said, yeah. I said, I mean, it's not like a war in that none of us are having to go, go to a front line with a gun, but there are doctors and nurses who are having to go to hospitals every day knowing they might get sick and they've got the potential of dying, something they never would have had to have considered, probably never thought about even... Weeks, even a few weeks ago, uh, and it's happening. We've had, I think, two or three doctors die in the UK now. Fifty-one, I think, in Italy. Um, uh, I saw in the news yesterday uh, a very well-respected neurosurgeon who is a specialist in separating Siamese twins died. I mean, these are incredible people who who go out there and save people's lives and make people better, who are now having to face the reality that they can go to work and that. They might get an illness that could kill them. That's a, that's a very strong reality. So that that in that sense, it is also like a war, and the impact on the economy is certainly going to be like a war. The loss of life is going to be like a war, but. It's like a world war in that it's affecting every single country in the world now. Every single country has been affected by this. Even the countries that maybe have no or very limited number of people infected are, are affected if you're a small island who relies on tourism, you're affected. And you're also affected because you probably rely on imports for certain types of food and what's happening with supply chains. This is it's a very strange time, and for me personally... Trying to even consider consider it is overwhelming because we're so early, right? We're, we're really early in what's going on here. The full impact, we might not even know for... Well, who knows? Where we'll be in a month will be a different situation. There's things you hope for. You hope for maybe some kind of very quick test, which means people can go back to certain types of work. But even with that, do the airlines start again? do they have quarantines in countries, is there a test that means you can uh, wander freely when you get to another country, while international travel isn't happening, there's parts of the economy that can't recover, so that's, to try and even think about where we're in a month, three months, six months, a year, um, it's really overwhelming, because you don't want to go too far, you don't want to be too disaster scenario, but we don't even we don't even i mean we've got a conservative government here there's a conservative a conservative government in the the u s who are having to implement the most socialist policies that we've seen for a long time and will it verge on to stepping into the world of communism and and what I, I use that lightly because um communism i think is a, is a dangerous ideology but Will they have to take over certain areas of production? I mean, it's happened in the US. Uh, I can't remember the name of the, the law which Donald Trump has enacted, but will they have to take control of certain areas of production to ensure people are fed? What levels of social unrest are we going to see? I mean, it's, we're starting to see some in Italy. And like I say, we're still early. So trying to take this all in, it's really overwhelming because it's very easy just to sit here and, in my house and just get on with normal life but normal life outside is very very different now so sorry that's a very somber answer but uh, it is something I'm thinking about a lot at the moment and it is really overwhelming
0: it's interesting you say that because uh listening to a couple of your previous podcasts with Giacomo and and the recent one with Scott Horton um there's so many opinions out there and it's, it, you do, it's good to question your own opinions and your own ideology. But at the end of the mm-hmm. day, you can sort of stand firm and say, no, I'm an anarchist. I know I'm a statist, or whatever. But at the end of the day, you have to be practical and you have to be like, you, you're not talking about statistics and numbers. Like people are dying. So for me, I'm a pragmatist. You know, what, whatever works, works. And I'll sort of, for me, the ide- ideology is secondary to like people actually being safe and dying. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's an enormous Twitter zone and, out there, and obviously it seems like you're struggling with those kind of things as well.
1: Well, yeah, so I'm, I've been wrestling with it actually quite a bit to the point where I'm, I'm at the verge of writing my first article in quite some time. I haven't written for a long time. And it, there's a lot of challenges right now <clears throat> because, you know, this Bitcoin journey, it's an interesting one. When I discovered Bitcoin, I was somebody who would vote in an election and pick a side. And I would go to work and I would pay my taxes. And and I would be just like everybody else and you know, all my friends and, let's say, the majority of society. And then you discover Bitcoin and you learn about censorship resistance. You think, yeah, God, why? It's my money. Why shouldn't I do with what I want with it? And then you learn about privacy and you think, Yeah. And I want you knowing everything about my fucking life. And then, um, and then you start to learn about central banking. You're like, yeah, this is bad. This is terrible. This is this is designed in a in the wrong way. This is designed to pump the system and and support the rich uh, and create a culture of spend, spend, spend without saving and what costs. So you learn about all these things, and then maybe you learn about libertarianism. And I've certainly been on a journey with libertarianism where I've not become a full... Um, I wouldn't say I'm a in fa- favour of zero state yet. I, I never got to that point because I, I think you have, if you go through these processes, you have to learn and you have to rationalise the outcomes. And I've never rationalised an outcome for a, a stateless country of millions of people that works because in my mind it's... The, the, the principles of libertarianism are great you know, non-aggression principle open free markets but if not everybody agrees or follows with that do you descend into some kind of anarchy which is worse and i don't know of course every single libertarian will listen and they will wax lyrical about um theories from from different uh from rothbard or mises or different people who, who say how the society will operate but that's all theory that doesn't account for always for human behavior and the greed and selfishness of man so i i'd never got there i never got fully there but i fully support the pr- principle of less government less rules less government that's that's a that's an achievable goal not the big red button that just switches off the state so i hadn't got there so i'm going through this exercise of kind of rationalizing getting to the point where i believe we we will be better off with a smaller state less government less laws uh, separating money and state would hopefully mean less war less money to fuel the war machine less corruption all those awful things right and then suddenly on this journey you throw coronavirus into the mix and that makes you have to re-question things because you're in this position where you're rationalizing libertarianism and, and you're saying to yourself I want less government I want less state I don't want a police state And then we're in this situation where we've got this new disease which is a highly infectious disease that spreads around the globe at at rapid rates which is killing people in ways i've not seen in my lifetime and every single pretty much outside of some uh outlier states such as say belarus and, and certain swedish policies and Of of implemented draconian laws locking down the population which is very anti-libertarian and it's challenged me because i'm uh, my view i'm kind of like going well this is terrible we should not have these new laws from the government because it's it's awful but i'm also a pragmatist in that we live in a democracy right now and we live in a democracy where everyone has given a vote and if the will of the people says this is what we want what do we do about this do do we sit in our seats at our home as an armchair radicalist and say, this is this is fucking terrible and I completely disagree with this? Or do you try and be a pragmatist and say, well, what's going on here? This is a an extreme scenario. Now, I've put that challenge out to some libertarians and for mixed responses. Some people are like, look, this is an extreme scenario. We do need to do this. And other people are saying, no, you're a fucking bootlicker. Oh, you're crying back to the state the first chance you get. Which I think is very unhelpful for the discussion itself, but so it's, it's 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 been a real challenge to my own thinking because I don't support a larger state. I want a smaller state. Um, I'm on our a, a, a own journey of like discovery and learning, and then this extreme scenario is put right in the middle, which is turned it's turned everything on its head, and it's like oh shit, it, uh, do do my do my principles around or do the do principles around libertarianism to stick into those essentially mean a lot of people might fucking die so it's 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 a you know also and the trade-off between death and the economy is a really interesting one because a lot of people i mean even donald trump talked about it last night he said some people said let's just let this wash through and and he said this could mean x two million die blah blah blah. i mean these are the trade-off and some people do support that saying you know liberty is the most important thing here and it's like it is for you but for other people the most important thing here is is life and preservation of life and defense of the health system and and they they are happy for lockdowns in the government so it's these are complicated subjects to deal with M- me personally as a uh i say journalist lightly feels like i don't just want to cheerlead a, p- a particular position i want to debate this because i think it's important so that's what i'm doing i'm trying to discuss this with people and trying to trying to get to the root of what people think about this whilst being insulted <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it's interesting how you talk about democracy because this is the ultimate democratization this uh, virus can affect everyone from prince charles to you know the person washing in feces in the stream so um That's kind of the interesting thing about Bitcoin. There's so many rabbit holes. There's political rabbit hole, then there's the economic one, the technical one, and you just, you leave one rabbit hole just to go into another one and the other rabbit hole. So, um, Paris, we've been extremely bad hosts. We haven't even introduced Peter. Um, Peter's from uh, What Bitcoin Did, which is probably what most people know him from, and um, Defiance as well. And without blowing uh, smoke up your backside, Peter, we appreciate you because you're not like us, you know, in our ivory towers saying, you know, Bitcoin does this, Bitcoin fixes this. You've actually been traveling around. You're actually, you know, you've been to the border, you know, in Colombia, and you've been to Venezuela and you've actually met with um, Mo, the uh, uh, Syrian um, ex-refugee, and you're actually looking at these use cases. So in your mind, like, not not to um, dismiss what you just said, but in terms of Bitcoin, what does Bitcoin fix, but what doesn't it fix or what can't it fix?
1: yeah that's a really really good question okay that's a really good question let me start by saying the reason i i traveled originally is just i always thought in-person interviews were better and then when i started traveling i realized i was learning more and a lot of proponents or fans or promoters of bitcoin that i deal with are mainly based in western democracies they're based in the US or the UK. I mean, you look at all my guests, that's what they are. And they have very good theories and ideas around Bitcoin usage. And that does change, by the way, people debate this. Some people care about censorship resistance. Some people talk, care about uh, taking down the central banks. Some people talk think about seizure resistance. But most people are buying and investing because they're speculating on the future success of Bitcoin. I would say that's majority of people and and therefore hodling becomes a use case but i actually just want to see if 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 the if you talk about the use cases yes it's a savings tool okay cool that's fine but let's actually talk about the real neat things bitcoin can do which is censorship resistance which is caesar resistance which is uh, avoiding capital controls which is avoiding hyperinflation all those really fucking cool things well, let's go and see in these locations how it's being used and the challenges because I, I think that's a really important thing to do. Interestingly, all those are my lowest performing shows when I do location ones. But I, I, think, I think it's an important thing to do. Um, and but what can Bitcoin do and what can't it do? In Venezuela, Bitcoin can't really do much for the majority of the population living on five dollars a month they are hand to mouth most months they haven't got enough money to survive they are hustling they don't need a volatile currency they've already got a volatile currency in the bolivar they don't need a, another volatile currency with high transaction costs and to be uh, for someone from the west to sit down and teach them about well this is a savings tool in the future this they don't give a fuck they month to month all they care about is survival What it can't do is it can't take down the Maduro regime, and the Maduro regime controls the country because it controls the guns. What it can do in Venezuela is those educated or in the middle upper classes who are fed up of inflation each month and uh, losing their wealth, they can buy Bitcoin, hold it, and usually Bitcoin will, even on a bad Bitcoin month, usually will outperform the um, inflation within venezuela that it can help but that's a very niche use case it can help a little bit with remittance again it's a niche use case but it, it can't fix venezuela in a post maduro world can it make venezuela a better country of course we know the benefits of a hard currency we know the benefits of hard money in terms of a government making them be more responsible for their spend but it can't fix venezuela right now that's that's i f- that's my belief and that's something I stand by and others may want to argue. And I did a show called Bitcoin Can't Fix Venezuela, and it triggered a couple of people. And I think it triggered them because some people are so far down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin that they have blind spots. You just go to Venezuela. It just I just say, look, go. <laughs> Trust me, I support Bitcoin. I want Bitcoin to be successful. It's good for my business and my savings if it's successful the role of a journalist is to tell the truth. And the truth is, I don't believe it can fix Venezuela. What else can it do? I think definitely and universally, it is a hedge against countries going through inflationary events. And this is going to be important over the next year. We're probably, we're going to see currencies fail. Now, I'm not an economist, I would refer, I defer to someone like Raoul Power and say, anyone go and listen to him talk about this. But but we're almost certainly going to see insane levels of money printing as governments try and survive this situation, which could lead to inflation and it could lead to currencies failing. The exact economics of why this happens is way beyond me. I just, the people I trust say this is something that will happen. So if that's a chance of happening, then then buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin as a currency currency. Like as a, a, a the chances of Bitcoin failing as a currency are very different from a government currency, so that's what it can do. Bitcoin can support censorship resistance. So if you have to buy certain things in locations or um, that you're not allowed, or you know, my introduction was buying cannabis oil for my mother when she was dying. Bitcoin can do that. Bitcoin is seizure resistant. So f- f- you know, I think a lot of people globally right now should be aware and should have a nervousness around their bank deposits, because we have seen historically um, limitations on withdrawing our money and yeah uh, Argentina j- during la Corralita, uh, where the the currency essentially collapsed, uh, the government prevented people from going to the bank and accessing their money. That is an issue. We had it. I think it was Greece or Cyprus during uh, the was it the 2008 crisis. Do, people should double check these dates and actual countries. But there was a run on. I think it was anything over 100,000 euros in the bank, or you you lost half of it to for the for the uh, ECB bailout. Again, the fact someone should check. But the fact th- th- we have seen governments seize money from bank accounts. This might happen again again so again bitcoin seizure resistance because seizure resistant because you can hold it yourself so there there are these use cases that, that that bitcoin can definitely help people with and we should educate them most people though won't like i can turn around to all my friends and say listen look if the economy collapses there may be a run on the banks there may be a situation where you can't access your cash it's not a bad idea to learn a little bit about bitcoin and hold it and and they're not going to none of them are going to because it just seems too far-fetched the 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 tipping point for bitcoin is a, is a it's a tough one most of them are going to have to go through the pain of it happening and see afterwards uh and also there is a risk whereby they buy some bitcoin to avoid seizure resistance there is no seizure and the price of bitcoin dropped and they've gone through a bad experience so they're like oh right, so i just bought something and lost money <laughs> so it's that the, 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 there's like a hedge there with its own risk so yeah it's complicated um, it's it's complicated. I just think for every scenario, it's worth holding a little bit of Bitcoin.
2: Do you want to learn how to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins? Coin Compass is running a free two-hour webinar on Sunday, the 19th of April. For session times and a register, go to CoinCompass.com forward slash webinar. Peter, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more in that, um, yeah, the uh, decentralized nature of Bitcoin itself. And yeah, especially when you looked at what happened in uh, Greece and Cyprus in the Eurozone crisis 2014, 2015. Um, And we've been talking about this um, and you've mentioned central banks and me and Gordon were talking about this as well. So we're very aware of what central banks have been doing, unlimited QE. But do you think this is something that most people are aware of the layperson, because they just think all the central bank, all they do is fix the interest rate on my home. Um, we have seen a couple books coming out just about the central bank. Um, so is this something that from your experience, people are starting to be aware of the central banks, how they're affecting this debt bubble that we've created, a sovereign debt bubble that looks like it's starting to unwind, or is it still just be beyond what well, in their everyday lives they just want to understand and want to comprehend?
1: Yeah, I don't think most people do. I think in crypto, we live in this bubble talking about it. We all, we've all seen the signs, we've all seen it coming, it's happening, it's getting worse. But I, I tend to spend, like, I'm like you guys, right? I focus on the basics of Bitcoin. I try and keep it simple and easy to understand. And I choose to spend time, more time in the in the world of my, my friends operating than in the Bitcoin world. I choose to do that because I don't want to lose that connection how people are thinking outside of this bubble, not inside the bubble. When you're inside the bubble, you have these blind spots. You're like, oh, duh, why, why doesn't everyone just suddenly get Bitcoin? Like it's so obvious, but you're in a bubble. So I tend to spend time outside of the bubble. I don't think people, most people do not, it's like everyone's pretty much conditioned to living within the state. They don't see an alternative. It's not It's a not reality for them. Plus they they want to rely on the state. Uh, they, they, they want a government to turn to. It's like a father figure. They want a government to turn to when times get shit. They haven't been forced to think about what, what, what does it look like without a government, or what is the terrible stuff the government does that actually I don't want. They only talk about the edges, you know, the edges of being like, for example, now in the UK, there are some, there's some criticism coming to the police now for the overreach of the powers in this lockdown. That one police force was using drones. And another one was fining people just for going out on a drive because they were bored. That is a that is considered an overreach, and people are debating things like that. But that's about as far as it goes. None of my friends are thinking about central banks. Not one of them. If you turn around and said, "You know, all this money the government's giving out, the eighty percent of salaries to keep people in jobs, where's this come from?" The answer will probably be the government. Is like, yeah, but where does it come from? And what are the implications? Do you actually understand it? I would say higher than 9 out of 10 of my friends would go, oh, I don't know. If you said, well, do you know what money printing does to money? Do you know what it does to the value of money? No. They just think it comes. Everyone's going to get their money, spend it, and life's going to be carrying on as normal. They can't... None of them understands inflation and how it works. I mean, I barely do. And so, no, they're they're sleepwalking into all of this. And trust me, I try i post stuff on facebook to my friends and say listen have a think about this perhaps you want to get a bit of gold but get a bit of bitcoin i would say like it's i have less than one in a hundred friends that ever cares about when i talk about these things so i think most people are sleepwalking into this and potentially we're going to go through a very painful situation over the next year and people are going to have to think about it they're going to have to look back and go whoa hold on what the fuck happened to my savings here or why why is everything suddenly getting so expensive what is why is inflation so high and then you're going to be able to turn around and say well it's because a b c and d and if you really care about your wealth and your future you should probably read this and start planning for it most people defer in my world defer to financial advisors (laughs) financial advisors everyone has a financial advisors you know guides them on where they should get their mortgage and Wish, what ISA they should have, and very basic savings things. None of these financial advisors are actually turned around and actually giving financial education and saying, well, this is how you hedge hyperinflationary events, and you should probably think about having gold and silver. None of the ones I know, they're they giving basics within the current realms of the economy, not the more radical things that we're debating. It's yeah, funny
0: because um, sorry, you get
2: first. No, that's absolutely right okay. because I read the other day that um, Three quarters of financial managers and hedge fund managers out there today have never witnessed a bear market or inflation.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, they, you know, they're just doing what they're, they're following textbook advice. I would much rather have someone like Rao Powell or Travis Kling as my financial advisor. I think you, what you could do is. That's probably even a good business idea is like some remote financial advisor. This is the financial advice that you need, the real financial advice. Because financial advisors, like no discredit to them, any of these people, hardworking people do their job. I just don't think they've been pushed to think beyond the boundaries of everybody else, beyond the boundaries of, I have a bunch of products to sell here. I've got to sell mortgages, loans, uh, ISAs. I've got to sell all these various financial product products. Here I go. These are the ones I am going to. These ones. These are the options for you. None of them are thinking, "Holy shit, man! What's going to happen to hyperinflation?" I should probably be advising my clients to buy a bit of gold and a bit of Bitcoin. That's never going to happen. And it's funny. Every time I get a financial advisor phone me and say, uh, "You know, can we have an appointment?" I, the I, uh, first question I ask is, "What can you tell me about Bitcoin?" And they can never tell me anything. So I am not. I am not interested in their service because they've not. I am I'm, I'm almost beyond needing their help.
0: It's funny, uh, I was talking to Faris about this. We're talking about central banks, or whatever, and I don't, know, I don't think most people have any idea about it. But what they do, we have, I have my own personal social indicator. So I rarely look at the price nowadays. Okay, when I'm on Twitter, I occasionally get whatever. But when I get phone calls from my parents, friends, emails, telling me, are you okay? That means that the price is down. When should I buy Bitcoin? That means the price is absolutely pumping at the moment guaranteed hundred percent. I didn't even need to look at a chart.
1: It's the same man. Well, you know, there's that saying, uh, come for the gain, stay for the hard money. You hope people come in, they make a bit of money, they don't fuck up and then they stay and learn about it. It's a, it's, it's a really good, yeah, it's a really good introduction for people, but uh, people, people, people come because of pain or for number go up. No, people don't tend to come to Bitcoin because they're like, you know what? This fiat money's terrible. I need some fucking hard money in my life. That doesn't happen. And yeah, they come because of other reasons. You just hope they stay and they hope they learn and and you hope they can ride out some of the... We all have to ride out pain within Bitcoin. We all have to ride out volatility where we have like, shit, I've made a ton of money today. Oh, fuck, I've lost a ton of money. And, and that's a really... Difficult thing to get through, but once you've got through it, like I don't care anymore about the price, it's, it's relevant to me. I'm my Bitcoin stash, is my Bitcoin stash. I'm not selling any for 10 years, so it doesn't matter if it goes up or down, it's, it's irrelevant. I care about the adoption of Bitcoin, not, not the price anymore. Um, and I, I, I care about th- problems being solved to make it easier for people. Uh, that's what I care about, but getting people through that because it's a hard learning curve as well. And people have got lives and busy lives and kids, they go to work, they get home, maybe they've got an hour commute, then they've got to bath their kids, read a story. Do they really want to spend another two to three hours learning about you know, consensus mechanisms? Of course they fucking don't. So the, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of barriers to get people over with this stuff.
2: So Peter, for you,
1: Bitcoin, Your-
2: currency or store of value?
1: it's just it's not it's not one or the other it's just a bunch of stuff because if it's not a currency you can't spend it you can spend it so you have to call it a currency because you can spend it like if if you want to sell me some shit some some wine if you want to sell me a nice bottle of wine i can pay you in bitcoin so it's a currency but i hold on i hold bitcoin long term because for me it's a store of value uh, but it's its a bunch of things uh, one of the great things about bitcoin is you'll find what it is to you as a, as a human and a person. Uh, and it's different things to different people in different locations, and different life experiences, different geographies, et cetera. So I I don't need personally to define it as a single thing. Does that make sense?
2: Well, absolutely, because um, that's what we get a lot. So yeah, design is a peer-to-peer currency. But I my argument is I see my lifetime. It, we, it will be used more as a long-term store of value. Um, even though with things like Lightning Network coming on, all that it's an excellent currency. And, and when people actually see Bitcoin moving from one wallet to another, that's that aha moment for them—the light bulb moment.
1: Yeah. And then when you, exp- and then when you explain to them that there's no middleman on this, no, there's no middleman. Just here it is. I can do that. You can do that. And no one can stop this happening. You are right. That is a light bulb moment.
2: Oh, Gordon, you're muted. <laughs> Sorry, Gordon. Go time. again, Gordon.
0: Um, so, for us, probably similar to you, Peter, we created this podcast for our friends and family. It's like, look, we're going to educate you, we're going to um, throw some practical advice for the everyday person on the street. But as you said, sometimes a little bit painful, you know. um, for that person, maybe even listening to this, should I get a Bitcoin? How should I go about it? Now, hopefully, you've watched your podcast and our podcast on how to do that properly. But what advice do you have to someone who is interested about Bitcoin? Maybe they want to buy it. Sort of, they're they're sort of on the fence at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, how do you how do you how do you tip them? How do you tip them? Um, I guess the only thing is education. You just got to say to them this is why it exists this is why it's gone up in value this is how people are using it do you want to hedge risk do you hedge risk in life do you do you have a pension do you have savings do you own your house bitcoin is just another part of that jigsaw that at some point might make you a lot of money might not at some point might become something you rely upon that you don't even realize how much you need right now. It, We're going through this kind of crazy event, which should, in all of our minds, it's like, well, this is the, the this is what we came to Bitcoin for, right? There are situations out of our control where currencies might collapse or you know, we might need something like Bitcoin, yet the price doesn't reflect it right now, which is like, okay, interesting. But you've got to just say to people, that you might need something like this, do, if you if you if you think you might do, just read some stuff. Read Safe Dean's book on economics. Listen to my podcast. Listen to a few shows, and then you are just gonna make a decision. No one can do this for you. No one can push you into it. Certainly, don't do it just to make money because that's a yeah. You know, the ups and downs are, are quite scary. But why don't, just if if you if you think this is a these risks are are valid and you want to hedge against it, then buy some Bitcoin. But it's you can't make someone.
2: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because, um, uh, yeah, these are, you know, this background couldn't be more bullish for Bitcoin, and it's actually correlating to stock markets, not correlating to gold or any safe haven assets correlating to stock market. We found, when I, 2017, people were saying to us, I just want to buy Bitcoin, and we're trying to slow them down to explain it to how it works. Like, no, I just want to buy it. Now we're seeing people going, okay, I actually want to understand this. So 2017, um, people just want to buy it without understanding what it was. Now we're seeing people actually want to understand it.
1: Yeah, so this might create some kind of weird bull market whereby as things get a little more crazy and fucked up, people are like, you know what? Yeah, I have been screwed by the government over the years. I have worked hard. My savings have been eradicated like i want to i want to I wanna learn about something else and whereas in 2017 it was people came for the games right the bubble was crazy i was like piling in and i just want to buy some of this shit and some people made a lot of money some people lost a lot of money and that's just the reality this next bubble when it happens may be driven by need and pain and and that would be a really healthy bull market. That's the kind of bull market we want because it's based on the right principles. It's based on the actual use of Bitcoin, what it can actually do. That may happen. It might not, but it's it's down to people like you and I that during this we just nudge the message forward as as things happen, if we see inflationary events, we say listen, this is why I've been going on about this Bitcoin thing for so long. This is why I keep telling you about it. And then people might go, you know what? fuck it. I'm okay, I'm going to do it. I mean, I think it will happen. I just don't know how it's going to happen because we are in unprecedented times. We don't know how this is all going to play out. Yeah,
0: I think people might not understand how central banking works, but they will understand when their Apple is, you know, 30% more expensive the next year or year after year, um, they'll question what the heck's going on. So,
1: yeah, they can't yeah when they go shopping it's like this is getting look it's like what happened in venezuela this is why is everything so expensive why is every i can't i don't understand this i need to understand this why why is my savings not worth anything yeah. but the
0: difference is in venezuela you know you have what 300 percent inflation and we have two or three percent here in the west you don't kind of notice it unless you zoom out you know 10 20 years
1: yeah it's a uh it's a it's death by a thousand cuts, right? It's the it's the slow torture that you don't realise happening. Boiling the boiling the frog. It's the boiling of the frog in the pan. He doesn't realise he's being boiled alive.
0: Yeah. Which is apparently in a science experiment that I did in grade nine, but I'll talk about that in an, in another stage. You boil the <laughs> you... frog. Yeah. Well, you know, when <laughs> Jesus. you, when you when you're young and stupid. And by the way, the frog just jumped out after it got a little bit warm. So, <laughs> um,
1: so it's a fallacy.
0: <laughs> How do you have such thick skin on social media, Pete? I mean, we posted a video yesterday in YouTube comments. You're a moron. You don't understand what you're talking about. We're talking about Bitcoin adoption. Of course it's a currency, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah,
1: just uh, go away. I don't always, if, if that's the truth. Um, Sometimes, uh yeah, it does get to me. I'm I'm happy to admit. I don't I don't mind admitting that. Uh, I I think some of the most scared people are the ones who go around calling people snowflakes. That they're, they're too scared to even admit that that there's any dents in their armor. There's any any. We're all human, right? No one wants to be called a fucking moron every day or an idiot or stupid. No one wants that. It's not pleasant. It's not nice. Uh, I I contribute it contribute it to my contribute to it myself because i i do poke the the bear and i do i rub people up the wrong way but no sometimes it's something i mean there's at least two or three times on this journey this three years or so last three years where it's really been stressful to the point of having to walk away and really think about things i don't mind admitting that because it's the truth right as a journalist tell the truth um i I'm getting, I'm getting better at dealing with it. But it, one of the most interesting things I always want to point out to people is that when you're saying you're a moron, you're an idiot, like there are things where you can, it's objectively true someone is being a moron and an idiot. Okay. So for example, if I, if I were tweeted, I don't care if, if someone dies because of coronavirus, I could say objectively, you're a psychopath. You're a fucking psychopath. Uh, uh, But if you're out there saying, well, I think creating a node is really difficult, and I don't think most people will do it, when someone comes and says, you're a moron and you're an idiot, well, 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 hold on. There's a debate here because here's a bunch of people who agree with me, and here's a bunch of people who disagree with me. So if there are people agreeing and disagreeing, you can't just call them a moron. You're adding nothing to the conversation, you're not bringing an argument that's constructive in any way. You are just coming from your position of your right, and 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 they're wrong. And one of the one of the things that Twitter's bad at, and and actually all social media is nuance. Nuance is dead. Nuance is dead. Trying to trying to most situations aren't black and white. There's a lot of nuance to to the situations, and and I think it's important to get into the nuance when you're having a debate. But I, I just think social media has just turned a lot of people into absolute fucking rude morons who just want to shout shit at people and yeah i I take a lot of shit i give a lot of shit out i think i get a disproportionate amount back but i can't go out there and say i i don't deserve it sometimes but yeah no it it gets to me um yeah it's it's not nice and the thing is you can you could have like joe rogan said this you could have 10 20 people say you've done a great job today and then one person can come and ruin it one person can come and say something and ruin your whole fucking day (sighs) So, I mean, how do you guys deal with it? Like, have you got thick skins?
0: Um, I don't know about you, Paris, but sometimes my skin is pretty thin and especially with Bitcoin. As it's funny you mentioned that about the node thing because I come from a pragmatist point of view. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have a degree in computer science, but I don't believe that everyone needs to run a full node in order to enjoy Bitcoin. Yes, um, some people need to run a full node and privacy and all this kind of good stuff, but it's like, Someone who wants to buy $50 worth of Bitcoin just to dabble in it doesn't need to spend six months and look at Linux command skills to run a full node, maybe run some Lightning Network, um, do all these VPN and Tor network and stuff. It's just like, let them buy Bitcoin. If they store $50 on, on exchange worth Bitcoin, that's fine. At least they get an introduction to it. Even if down the track, they want to buy more Bitcoin. Yes, use a hardware wallet. And there's, there's certain layers, but some people are like, no, it's black and white. It's one or zero. It's like this or nothing. It's so frustrating. Yeah,
1: yeah but these people are probably more technical. And I, I used to run a web development agency. And we had some genius developers. I mean, the shit they could code and the time they could do it was incredible. Would I ever let them design an interface? No, I wouldn't let them design an interface because the interfaces were always terrible and unusable. And usability is important. Would I let them go to client meetings? Very rarely because they were very, usually very poor interpreting what a client would want and so the reality is you have layers of people who've got different skills you have you have your uh you have your kind of client account management person who's very good at listening to a client uh working with a team to deliver something the client's happy with which is ultimately important because you want to get paid right you don't want to you don't want to over deliver and and lose money on the project you don't want under deliver and piss off the client it's a balancing act and that is a skill that certain people have you don't you want the designer to design the interface because one they're going to make it look pretty which even if people argue about it, it's not important it, it, it is we live in an aesthetic world you're going to have a usability designer to think about the flow of the experience and you're going to have a coder programmer. you need all these different skill sets but what you tend to find in bitcoin is there's like some really technical people who who don't think about these layers above above their own technical skill and therefore it's like well, I can do it, why can't you? Well, you must be an idiot. And it's just like, well, no, hold on, hold on. You've got to, you've got to see the bigger picture of this world outside yourself.
2: Yeah, I'm very different. I am, uh, early in my career, I worked with the International Community of the Red Cross, and they're very strong on being impartial and neutral, and that really just cemented who I was. So if I tweet something, I spend a lot of time researching it, deliberating it, thinking about every word, and uh, it used to drive my ex-wife crazy because she ask me for my opinion, and I'd, I'd say I'll get back to you. And two days later, I'd come back with an opinion that I believe would be ironclad. And strong opinions, weakly held, is where I come from.
1: Yeah, it's always a good way to be strong opinions, loosely held. I, I, I go, I flip flop, I change my opinion. I've got no problem with that. <laughs> people, 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 sometimes will criticise you. You go, oh, you just change your opinion. It's like, well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> like, what's that saying? A man who can't change his mind can't change anything. There's nothing wrong with going, yeah. I thought that, and now think this, and this is why. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with politics now, is that people are so rigid in their political view. They're so stuck to the... the, the... It's like trying to debate Donald Trump with a Republican. Once they've decided that they want to defend Republicanism and defend Trump, there's nothing you can say, because every single criticism you have they will they will defend it and or they'll say it's trump derangement syndrome and and similarly you can throw the same accusation at the democrats who refuse to ever accept that he's done some good things and i think the most interesting political observers are the republicans who can criticize trump or the democrats who can compliment him because you're like you're objective people you're honest everyone else is just full of shit you guys are honest and, and that i find them much more interesting people <laughs>
2: So on that vein, Peter, we're not going to hold you to this, the playing devil's advocate, okay. what would it take for you to lose faith in Bitcoin?
1: Oh, what a question. Ah, I need to think about that. What Lose faith in Bitcoin. In what way? Because there's there's like losing faith in it as a any use as a technology and, and giving up, or there's losing faith in that I, I decide not to spend dedicate so much of my life to it so
2: uh, you decide it it hasn't worked um and you choose to sell every single one of your bitcoins
1: yeah i mean that's a good question because if, if the price sinks so much it's almost like it's not it's not worth selling um i mean look if there's a catastrophic bug that's a problem but again that's probably a temporary problem the, the bug gets fixed there's a rollback everyone deals with it so there's that there's I I don't think on a technical level there is anything because it's it does it does what it says it on the tin right every 10 minutes a new block is produced and I can choose to pay to put transactions in that or not that's not going to change and we're always going to need money so I don't think I'll ever lose faith in it like that um I may lose lose faith in its ability to go mainstream and i'm wrestling with some ideas around that i think there are some people radicalizing aspects of bitcoin which aren't practical that's not to not that they shouldn't have those opinions everyone can hold any opinion they want but there i get turned off by bitcoin sometimes and it's not turned off bitcoin itself it's turned off by certain narratives and and loud voices and that's fine because equally you know those people might argue that wow why do you why do you think like that Well these same people have opinions on politics and other people's views on the world so that's fine everyone can hold an opinion uh, if, it, if it got too radical, I think it just stays as some like nerdy toy and I might go, ah oh, well I just can't see this getting anywhere. I might lose interest in, in dedicating my time to. I might say, is there something else I can dedicate my time to that's better? Could I d- focus more on human rights, or the plight of refugees, or poverty? Can I can I create content in that? Well, I think that's a better use of my time, both in terms of what I can add to the world and and just where internet where it challenges me intellectually. Um, that that's a potential. That, I'm more likely to lose faith in what I can contribute to the big to the world of Bitcoin. Does that, does that make sense?
2: No, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Well,
0: I don't know about you first, but, uh, I'm also conscious of, uh, Peter's time. Feel free not to answer this, Peter. It's a question without mm-hmm. notice, bit of a cheeky, bit of a cheeky question.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Describe Bitcoin in 10 words or less or 20 words or less.
1: Freedom. Okay, that's all it is. So I don't only need the one word; it's freedom.
2: All right. Fair enough. Paris, you want to have a stab? I'll get back to you in a couple of days. Give me time to think about
1: it. I tell you why I say freedom, because because we live we live in a world of rules, but we're not born into rules. No animal is born into rules. It's born into a, a into a family you know whether it's a lion or a giraffe or fish it's born into a an ecosystem and there aren't any rules there are just realities that it needs to eat to survive and it might get eaten <laughs> that's that's the, the role of an animal yet we as humans have, have created all these rules you can do this you can't do that there's no rules about which plant an animal can eat but there's plants there's rules about which plants we can eat there's rules about how we interact with it. There's, there's rules about where we can go we've created a world of rules and Bitcoin breaks down those rules that it takes away some of those rules. And so therefore, if it's, if it's taken, you know, taking down those walls, it's creating more freedom. So I would just say Bitcoin is freedom.
0: Good answer. Um, first, um, I mean, I could go on, but Faris, you want to, and on I think that's
2: a really, no, I think that's a really good one to wrap it up on. And uh, Peter, we are incredibly grateful for your time tonight. Thank no you. Again. I really enjoyed this. Oh, good. yeah, thanks.
1: Um, well, yeah. Re- no, you go. No, I was just saying, I really enjoyed this. This is uh, like this is my level of chat. It's keeping to the basics and the simplicity. It's the world I'm in, and I, I really enjoy this side of Bitcoin.
0: Great. I mean, Faris and I go down so many rabbit holes and that's why I think we created the podcast. We was like, no, we need to like stick it, not, not to dumb things down or make it simple, too simple, but it's like just, just talking in an everyday, non-academic, non-technical level. And hopefully even if five people uh, watch it, who, you know, my girlfriend, my parents, and a couple of friends, then um, you know, that's, that's cool. So we appreciate you and we appreciate you because you do a lot of boots on the ground stuff. Um, obviously you're not traveling at the moment, but uh, mm-hmm. have you got any plans sort of after this? Uh, who knows? That's a stupid question. to could be one month.
1: Yeah, well, no, it's not a stupid question. I am thinking about it. Um, it's, I'm, I don't know if you've seen any of the films I've been making. I have, yep. Yeah. So I really want to get back into doing more of that. So my travel post-coronavirus will be based on the films I want to make, and I'm drawn into... I'm drawn to where there's human suffering that people don't understand. Um, it's Someone called it poorism, tourism, which I thought, no, it's not. It's journalism telling stories that people may be not seeing. I'm drawn to go and tell the stories that that aren't being told. Um, so in a post-coronavirus world, I think there's going to be devastating stories that you can tell. Uh, and I, I I will just be drawn to go to the ones where I think... There are stories that need telling that people need to hear about that hopefully will spur some action to help. And um, I guess I will wait to see when travelling becomes a thing again and which stories I think are really important to tell. I mean, I'm I was really drawn to the stories of refugees because I think refugees are often considered or looked down upon by the rest of the world. Yet these are just humans trying to get somewhere to make a better life for themselves. And the refugee problem might be many scales worse after this. So potentially, I will focus on that. Uh, um, I don't know. It's going to be like, who knows, man? Nobody knows what's going on. We'll, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But almost certainly, I'm going to be out with the film camera somewhere. Awesome.
0: Oh, we appreciate it. And it's definitely journalism. No, maybe in the past, I listened to your first show. I think it was on Tatiana's show when you were discussing yeah. um, how you got into Bitcoin and whatnot. And you're like a little bit hesitant saying, oh, I'm not sure if I'm a journalist. Well, you're definitely a journalist. I mean, you're out there traveling to the border in Colombia. I mean, you're you're doing that stuff. So don't... Uh...
1: Yeah, but I haven't... I, I, the problem with... There's like different... I look at other people and think you're a journalist. Therefore, I don't want to say I'm a journalist. But then I look at other journalists and I think, well, I'm better than you. Like, look at the tabloid journalists. I think, well, I'm doing more important work. But I just... I haven't nailed down the my responsibilities and duties as a journalist yet. And there's that's a learning journey just about the things I should and shouldn't be doing, but I'm learning.
0: I'll keep on coming. Keep on those boots on the ground, real world, uh, Bitcoin use cases. I think we definitely need more of that in this space for sure.
1: Faris okay, and I a, well, are listen, too high
0: in our ivory towers. <laughs> so.
1: Well, listen, just keep doing what you're doing, man. It's like, podcasting is great. You learn, I think you learn a lot about yourself by doing it. And I think, I think I, I think it's a great thing to do. It's been fantastic for me. So I'd just say to you guys, keep doing what you're doing. It's um, yeah, just keep keep at it.
2: Thanks, Peter. Appreciate
1: Thanks your very time, much. Guys.
0: So, uh, most of our audience, uh, or even new timers listening to this, um, where can they find more about you and what Bitcoin did and defiance?
1: yeah it's whatbitcoindid.com that's where my bitcoin podcast is defiance.news is where you'll get my defiance podcast and you can also find my defiance films i'm also on twitter it's at peter mccormack Um, feel free to reach out to me Uh, my dms are open Uh, i usually reply to anyone who isn't just putting some nonsense in there but yeah that's where you can find me please feel free to give me any feedback on my work whether you like it or dislike it it's all helpful I'm, i'm not overly precious
0: awesome thanks once again peter thanks faris right. and thank you everyone
1: thanks peter cheers guys cheers thank you cool that was all right guys that's good I enjoyed that
0: thanks for watching or listening please visit coincompass.com free to register to our socials and discover other free content subscribing liking and following helps this content remain ad free until next time